Blog Talk Radio. and good evening, my fellow Liberty lovers, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from. Today is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, and this is episode 19 of the Living with Freedom show. I am Amber S., bringing to you a vision of what living a life of freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in every aspect of life. This show is brought to you by Living with Freedom Ministries, an unincorporated private church and ministry where I help people discover and fulfill their God-given purpose, specifically through the creation of their own private ministry. And if you enjoy the Living with Freedom show or any of the Living with Freedom ministry activities, please consider a donation through PayPal using the ministries livingwithfreedom at protonmail.com email. Your support is what helps keep this mission alive. All right. Well, last week we had another little tech issue, so I recorded our um, our normal radio show over on Zoom. Need to get that uploaded. But as usual, I am slacking at the job. <laughs> so I will get that up as soon as I possibly can. Um, but for today, we have some really interesting things to chat about. And a lot of things that are sort of integrating in in very unique ways. Um, When you just look at, if you look at my show notes, if you could see them, it would feel really disjointed. And yet it seems like all of these things are culminating and piling together at this time for, hmm, for our transformation, for leveling up. Um, it's sort of like a spiritual mental alchemy kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that sounds super woo woo, but I'm just going to use a mental picture, you know, because we can picture what alchemy is supposed to be like, right? And if you look at the cellular level, you know, there are some, you know, science things that can prove alchemy to a certain extent does happen. So we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> For today, we're going to start out with the holiday of the day. And y'all are going to laugh at me and seriously wonder if I've gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. (laughs) Because today I chose National Pickle Day. Woo woo! I actually really love this because in my not-so-humble opinion... Pickles are seriously underrated if you have access to really good ones. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the was it the Milwaukee pickles or or Vlasic or any of those store-bought, you know, generic brands. So what on earth am I talking about? What's the deal with pickles, right? <laughs> have I lost my mind? No, nope. I, I am not. It. I have not lost my mind. I am perfectly sound. So 
here's the deal with pickles. Naturally fermented pickles are actually really great for gut health. And honestly, I've heard that some athletes have been known to drink pickle juice instead of other electrolyte drinks. And I'm like, what? Why? But here's part of it. When things are naturally fermented, there's all those like good pre and probiotics. Um, pickles have salt in them, which we also need to replenish our hydration. So pickle juice is actually sort of like a superfood electrolyte drink. Um, my favorite brand of pickles happens to be Bubby's Pickles. And Bubby's is B-U-B-B-I-E-S, Bubby's Pickles. And while most pickles, or I should say most brands of pickles, because homemade ones don't, but while most brands of pickles contain vinegar, which, no, not technically bad, but it doesn't induce the same probiotic developing effect from the fermentation process as natural fermentation does, um, most store brands of pickles also contain food dye. And seriously, if you don't know the problems with food dye yet, please, like, don't, I wouldn't say pause the recording, but make a mental note, put a reminder in your calendar for after the show, and go do some homework. Please do some homework, do a little research on food dye. Because my old favorite brand of pickles before I went crunchy, no pun intended, before I went natural, my favorite brand of pickles being from Wisconsin is Milwaukee's Pickles. And then I read the label. Why on earth is there food dye in freaking pickles, you guys? They're a greenish yellow. That's what they're supposed to be. We don't need it being neon green. <sighs> Anyways, do your own homework on the harm, the harmful effects of food dye. I digress. The third thing that a lot of brands of pickles has in them, have in them, is polysorbate whatever number. There's a couple different polysorbates. There's like 20, 40, 60, 80, something like that. And from my research, regardless of the number that comes after polysorbate, they're all bad. And another thing is about that is like, again, why is it in our food? Why? What is the purpose besides to just be a harmful chemical in the chemical, you know, the toxic brew. Um, speaking of which, I think it's called Toxic Brew. There's a, a video that's really old now. I believe it's called Toxic Brew and it's all about the toxic stuff that's in our cleaning products and I think some of our food. should still be on YouTube unless they've taken it down, but definitely a good watch if you have not seen it yet. Man, I haven't thought about that one in a long time. <laughs> I'm going to have to make a note of that because it's truly a great resource. Um, toxic through video. There's my note for myself. <laughs> Back to Bubby's Pickles, though. What I love about them is their brand of kosher baby dill pickles only has cucumbers, water, salt, garlic, dill, spices, 
mustard seed, and calcium chloride. And no, I don't love that there's calcium chloride, but honestly, it's the only bad thing, so I, I'll take it, especially since I have not had any homemade pickle as good, as crisp as theirs. It's one of those lesser of two evils kind of things. I am sure that somebody in the world makes homemade, naturally fermented pickles that are as good, if not better. I have not had them. And so this is my compromise. <laughs> so that is the holiday of the day. I do have another like this day in history thing that will be coming up on pretty soon here, but <coughs> oh, I love choking my own saliva. I feel like a rock star. <clears throat> so talented. Hang on one second. <coughs> All right. I think we're good. So, being that it's November 14th, I've I've been doing some fall cleaning. Actually, I've been doing a lot of fall cleaning. And if you've been on any, or if you've listened to any of our shows before, you know that I talk a lot about clearing clutter, clearing mental clutter, clearing physical clutter. And so I'm taking my advice. And this one is actually inspired by a deeper exploration of some, I guess, resentment that I've been feeling. I'm not going to get into it in full detail here. But as a result of exploring that resentment, I'm remembering that if something is important to me, I, one, can't expect others to read my mind. And two, I shouldn't assume or expect the same things are important to others. So, I <clears throat> I got myself out of the funk that I was in and I started to crank through clearing the physical clutter so I could clear the mental clutter. And my two main rooms of focus were the kitchen and my room slash office slash library. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it works. I literally listened to a podcast series for the entire day yesterday. And, I mean, I was tapped out. I've been doing research over the weekend and drafting and redrafting some documents and, you know, some of these other things. And I needed the mental break. I was getting mentally burned out. And just listening to this podcast in the background in hint, I was listening to a podcast about decluttering and cleaning because <laughs> um, I've learned that I do best with that kind of stuff with stamina if I feel like someone's doing it with me. And since other people don't like to take an entire day and pretty much reorganize their entire room slash office, I listen to podcasts of people who talk about that kind of stuff so that I kind of stay in, in the mental focus for it. Anyways, y'all, clearing the physical clutter to clear the mental clutter, it friggin' works. It actually works. And, so, like, here's the bonus. Here is the bonus. In doing this physical decluttering, 
I actually found a book that has been missing missing for gosh, like probably three or four years, maybe more. And yes, I am ashamed to admit that. Though in my defense, if I'm allowed to have a defense on this one, <laughs> I have the book packed in a backpack that I don't use anymore and Frankly, I forgot to unpack it before I put it away because this book is like, it's not the Bible, but it's like Bible sized and it's also soft cover. Like, you know, it's not paperback; it's sort of like leather bound, but it's like the size of a Bible and it's softer. So it was a little bit easy to miss in my backpack. So anyways, I forgot to unpack it before I put it away and then felt like I lost it for the last several years. What was this book? And why did I feel so so sad that I was missing it? It is the U.S. Constitution and other key American writings. It is a collection of these writings. And I did a little digging after I found it. On Amazon, it's listed as being by Founding Fathers. And the publisher is Word Cloud Classics. And this book, the... Um, paperback version or the leather bound, whatever you call it, is only twelve ninety nine. So if you would like your own copy, this is not an, um, an endorsement. It's not an affiliate. I just think it's really cool to have this book of the last, gosh, 400 years worth of like big writings and such. It starts with the Mayflower Compact which is actually the one we'll talk about today. So I digress. I found the book last night then as I'm sitting in bed doing some reading somewhere else. I finished my chapter in that other book, and I decided to grab this one, and I just started to read front to back. And the very first writing listed is this Mayflower Compact of 1620. And what I found was that it was written and signed November 11th, 1620. Well, November 11th just happened. So we're going to backtrack and do a this day in history kind of thing, sort of like we did last week with the Guy Fawkes Day on November 5th. So we know that today, not today, November 11th, we normally celebrate Veterans Day. It's a big thing. I wanted to, because everybody else focuses on that, and yes, I'm grateful. Yes, I believe in honoring our veterans. Others do a much better job than I do. So I wanted to focus on something that we don't remember about that day in history, November 11th. <clears throat> and this book's description about the Mayflower Compact says this, and I'm reading now. The Mayflower Compact was the governing charter of the English colony at Plymouth in Massachusetts. John Carver, who helped to organize the, main, the, the Mayflower Voyage and became the colony's first governor, likely wrote the compact, and it was signed by the colony's 41 free adult men. Now, before we actually get into the Mayflower Compact itself, I wanted to introduce two pretty short words of the day. If you are new to the Living with Freedom show. What I like to do every week is I like to highlight a word of the day, usually from Black's Law Dictionary. And the reason I like to use this dictionary is that, as its name might imply, Black's Law Dictionary is 
this is sort of the go-to in terms of the definitions that are recognized and used in law. That's not to say these are the only definitions that can and do exist for words because we retain the right, R-I-T-E, and the right, R-I-G-H-T, to define the words that we use as well as correct any errors now and forever. We retain that right. But knowing and understanding how the law recognizes words is important because we deal in a, you know, we live in a system that is lawful. So that being said, the word of the day is colony. The first word of the day, I should say, is colony, which is a dependent, not independent, a dependent political community consisting of a number of citizens of the same country who have emigrated therefrom to people another and remain subject to the mother country. Territory attached, or another part of the definition is territory attached to another nation known as the mother country with political and economic ties, e.g., or, or like, possessions or dependencies of the British crown like the 13 original colonies of the United States. And because what we're looking at is the Mayflower Compact, I also wanted to share the, the definition of the word compact. Because, yes, most of us today are used to hearing that word in terms of something being, like, um, tightly bound, packed together, you know, but there's this whole other definition for the word compact that we just don't use today. So compact means an agreement or contract between persons, nations, or states commonly applied to working agreements between and among states concerning matters of mutual concern. A contract between parties which creates obligations and rights capable of being enforced and contemplated as such between the parties in their distinct and independent characters. A mutual consent of parties concerned respecting parties concerned respecting some property or right that is the object of the stipulation or something that is to be done or forborne. In essence, <laughs> a compact is another word for a contract. Both of those are a way of saying there is an agreement between two entities. Entities includes two people, or it, it could be two or more, I should say, between two or more people or persons, nations or states. So let's now get into the significance of these two, especially in the context. We've kind of covered it, but when we think about the definition of the word colony, we have to remember that the original 13 colonies, when they came over in 1620, they were not so much about ultimate independence Yes, there was some religious liberty that, you know, was sought after, but it was not automatically initially to 
separate themselves from Great Britain, from the British crown. There was a lot of intention for exploration and advancing Christianity that would happen. And so the colony is just an extension of the mother country. And I want us to remember that. And I also want us to remember that this Mayflower Compact is an agreement or a contract between persons, nations, or states. <clears throat> so now that we've covered those words, what, what does the Mayflower Compact say? All right, let me grab the book and get it back open. All right, here is the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen, we who, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, by the grace of God, of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God an advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and, of, and one of another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And by, and by virtue hereof do enact, constitute, frame, constitute and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all, sub, all due submission and obedience. In witness thereof, we have hereunto subscribed our names at Cape Cod the 11th of November in the reign of our sovereign Lord King James of England, France, and Ireland, the 18th of Scotland, the 54th, A.D. 1620. All right. That was kind of a lot. One thing I want to make note of, the rest of the words, you know, might be kind of old English, but we get the gist of. One word I actually personally had to look up was the word meet, because it was spelled differently here. And so I was curious if it had a different meaning than M-E-E-T that we know today, like to meet somebody new or I'm going to meet my mom for lunch, you know. So the way they have it spelled here is M-E-E-T-E. And one website I found actually had a sort of like an alternative definition that said it also means appropriate. So where it says, um, shall, uh, let's see, um, enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, blah, 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 from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient. What it's really saying is, is most appropriate and convenient. So here are my takeaways from the Mayflower Compact. First, they were very sure to recognize and honor God, actually a couple times throughout this. Second, 
they wanted to maintain and advance Christianity. People did not flee from England. Flee from England. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden I thought I was mixing up my letters. People did not flee from England to escape Christianity or to escape any religion as a whole. They were not atheists. And so it's really important to note that here they're talking about advancing Christianity. Now, notice though that they did not say advancing any particular denomination or any particular church. They didn't say advance Catholicism. They didn't say advance the Church of England. They just said Christianity. And I do think that's worth noting. My third takeaway <clears throat> Here they're agreeing to be colonies of England, the mother country, and to submit and be obedient in their establishment of said colony and do that which is appropriate and convenient for the colony. So what they're acknowledging is that we are a colony or, or a satellite extension of the mother country, which is England. This is really important to note as we look at history because sometimes it seems like we forget that the establishment of the colonies, the original colonies, was not exclusively in effort, at least originally, to gain our independence. I'm sure in the in certain of these, you know, founding fathers way back, in some of their hearts that was a secret intention. But it may not have in 1620, over a century later. Yeah, it's definitely leaning that way, as you guys learned in um, our September and early October First Continental Congress series. So that is the Mayflower Compact. If you want to read it, I'm sure you can go online. If you want this book, like I said, it's on Amazon. It is called The U.S. Constitution and other key American writings. We're going to pause for a commercial break, and when we come back, we will start with segment two. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. Looking for something different? Looking for something fun. Join Dan every Monday on the Freedomizer Network, 9 to 10.30 Pacific, noon to 1.30 Eastern, for Common Sense with the educated redneck, Dan Ellison. The show about everything and nothing at all. Please check out the Barefoot is Legal radio show right here on Saturdays, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that is 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, 
as we show you all about your barefoot rights and living a barefoot lifestyle. And for more information about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal, please check out barefootislegal.org. You know what I think you should do? I think you should join us for Dynamic Word Bible Studies, where I am always hosting. My name is Felicia DeRosier, and I have two amazing co-hosts. Cross, the favorite. You wish. This is Mariah, the real favorite child. <laughs> oh, sure. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time learning about the Bible and possibly a little time learning about humility. That would be awesome, right? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> we air live every Wednesday from 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time to 10:30. Uh, right now, we're going through the Book of Romans, but we're going to start moving into the Gospel of John. We're going to learn about Jesus. We're going to learn about living and walking in the Spirit, and learning to be a little humble with those that we live with. It's going to be a great time. I can't wait for you to join us. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Hello Freedomizers, I am Broccoli Man. When I am not fighting crime, I listen to the Proof Negative radio show. I am the Wire Not only do I forbid you to listen to Freedomizer radio and the Proof Negative radio show, I am going to demand you wear a mask and get your naked body scan. We need to protect the one world government. You getting the real information hurts a crime syndicate. Do not listen to Proof Negative. You must now disrobe this instant so I can check your person for a constitutional cash money. Anyway, listen to Proof Negative on Freedomizer Radio. Weeknights 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Freedomizerradio.com All right, and since we're going to be talking about taking back our rights and our liberties, which is a big topic of mine, I want to share two resources real quick. When taking back your rights, don't leave the biggest part in the hands of someone who isn't even going to fight for you and your rights. How to win a court without a lawyer does just that. Dr. Graves teaches you what he's learned over his many years as a lawyer so you can protect and defend your rights yourself do have a new referral link that's a little bit easier. It's a bit.ly link, so it's bit.ly backslash LWF for living with freedom, LWF hyphen how to win. So it's bit.ly backslash LWF hyphen how to win. And Cuddle Twins. From watered-down history, the intentional omission of important facts and principles to agenda-driven opinions, our kids' public domain education is not giving our kids what they need to enter the real world and be critical thinking, problem-solving, non-history-repeating adults. That's where Tuttle Twins comes in. They have an entire collection that's always growing for kids of all ages and, honestly, us big kids as adults who want to go back and relearn what we should have learned from the start. To access that, it's tuttletwins, T-U-T-T-L-E, twins.com, backslash ref, R-E-F, backslash living with freedom. All right. So on to the next topic of the day. 
I was looking through my Facebook memories and came across this post I had shared. And the quote in the post says this, every woman who heals herself heals all the women who came before her and all who will come after her or all those who will come after her. That's Christiane Northrup. And I'm going to repeat that one more time. Every woman who heals herself heals all the women who came before her and all those who come after her. And I feel like this is a really, really important thing to take note of. Partly because, especially if you believe in general generational curses, which I do, um, I believe they were referenced in the Bible. I do believe general uh, generational curses are real. They are a thing. And that while men, yes, can and should do their own healing work, I feel like it is part of women's coding, sort of, to to do this healing, this deep inner healing work. And the reason is, is science has proven that when a baby girl is born, she's already born with all of the eggs that she will ever have. And so a mother actually is carrying her grandchildren when she carries her baby. That alone spans three generations right there. And so I do believe there is this generational aspect to women's roles and and the role of femininity. So that really ties in for me into this whole day because also in my fall cleaning, as I was going through a whole bunch of old notes from when I used to do a lot of classes about essential oils and health and wellness, one class that I had attended, one of my mentors had given each attendee this little piece of cardstock. And on this cardstock, something is glued on it. And underneath is a note. This is who is responsible for your health. And as we picked up this piece of cardstock with the thing glued on it, we come to realize that the thing glued on is actually a mirror. So we're looking at ourselves as we read that this is who is responsible for your health. It was a really big wake-up call. And a good reminder, it was a good wake-up call then and a good reminder now. And why is that? It's because whether we're talking about responsibility in health, responsibility in liberty, responsibility in knowledge, in safety, in protection and defense, in life, which includes education, access to things, health management, other resources. The only person that's responsible for those things is us. The funny thing is, even as Christians, God's not even responsible for taking care of us. He can bless us, but we are ultimately the ones responsible for taking care of ourselves in all of these things. So I want to encourage us in all aspects to stop giving away your power. 
when did we start to think so little of ourselves that we felt we had to give away our power for all of those things I mentioned? And I'm going to read them again quick. Being responsible in our health, in our liberty, um, really life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, in knowledge, in safety, in protection and defense, in life. When did we think so little of ourselves we felt we had to give away power over those things? And when did we begin to think we were so insufficient, unworthy, and couldn't learn that we gave over to the government and to somebody else outside of ourselves the right and the power over those things over us? Well, I know a big start to where that came from. It's it's multifaceted. Of course, when, you know, certain families that I probably shouldn't mention, <laughs> um, when certain families took over the medical industry and medical education, which hopefully we'll have time to get into in the third segment, but when certain families took those things over and turned the medical field into an industry, that's a huge part of where our rights are to dwindle away. Just human sin and human greed and jealousy started to dwindle away our public education over a century ago, well over a century ago. But as individuals, so that's on the collective level, but as individuals, I know where this stems from. It came from our parents and our teachers and our friends, other relatives, maybe our employers, but someone outside of ourselves. It came from a voice, one of their voices, that we allowed into our circle, our sphere, and thus into our mind. When someone else speaks to us or over us from their perspective and their purpose, it should not be affecting us. Because their purpose in the world is very different from ours. So when we allow their voice to find a home in our mind, it infects us like cancer and it spreads like a parasite. Because today we aren't taught, or not usually taught, how to actually connect with God, connect with the Holy Spirit. And we sure are not taught how to discover and explore our God-given purpose so that we can fulfill it. But how to connect with that purpose, how to think and act and be our purpose in life. And we especially are not taught what those things or what paying attention to those things actually feels like and what listening to our own heart sounds like over internalizing those outside voices. And sadly, this is where we get a lot of mental health issues. Now, I'm not talking about neurodivergence. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about um, 
you know, these negative thoughts we have about ourselves, about our appearance, about our intelligence, our abilities, or lack thereof, we get these these chronic feelings because we've internalized something that was not ours to internalize. And this is where, when people say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me, I, I can appreciate the sentiment behind that. It's basically trying to say, like, neener, 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 I can't hear you. When we're actually functioning from a conscious, heartfelt level, words do matter. And if we're not properly taught how to critically think about the words we hear before we accept them as truth, we're, very, we're left very vulnerable to influence from outside of ourselves. So the best thing that you can do for your kids is rather than telling them or commanding them what to do, how to act, how to behave, da-da-da-da-da, you know, all these things, is to start asking them questions. Start teaching them how to have this internal locus of um, morality and ethics and responsibility. Start to have this internal compass. But they cannot learn what that internal compass is or how to use it unless somebody teaches them. It's not something we're innately born with or inherently born with. We have to learn to hone the skill. So for those of you who are parents, especially of of younger, impressionable children, please consider how you speak to your kids, how you speak to other kids or any kids. Being critical can still be communicated in a loving way, but sometimes we have to choose love first. So that our kids can feel safe to explore and make mistakes and learn on their own. So let's go back now to us as adults. How exactly do we give away our power? I mean, yes, the voice in our head might tell us we're insignificant or insert insecurity, you know, insert negative thought. But then in the tangible sense, how do we give away this power? And these are somewhat rhetorical questions, but I do want you to actually think about them and hopefully answer them. How do you give away your power? Do we expect Big Brother to help us with health care? Do we expect Big Brother to feed us? Do we expect Big Brother to take care of us? And do we expect Big Brother to protect us? Is that actually Big Brother's responsibility? Is that the government's responsibility? If you study what the Founding Fathers said in all of their writings, in obviously the drafting of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, 
and the Declaration of Independence? The answer to these is a resounding no. It is not the government's job to give us health care. It is not the government's job to protect us from unlicensed medical professionals, which, again, we'll get into in a little bit. It is not Big Brother's responsibility to feed us or take care of us or to protect us from ourselves. And yet we've handed all of that away. We've been sold this web, this you know, web of lies. We've been sold the lie that we could not possibly know enough about our own health to stay healthy without seeing the doctor annually or semi-annually. We have been fold, or sold a web of lies that we need Big Brother to feed us if we are poor. We have been told a web of lies that we need Big Brother to take care of us, to create all of these programs and agencies to protect us. It is not their job, and we must stop delegating that power, that right to them. As parents, it is our sole responsibility to to vet who takes care of our children. <clears throat> it is our responsibility to make sure that what we do with our bodies for our health is the best possible decision. And as I've been continuing to read this legal guidelines for the unli- or for unlicensed practitioners book, which I've, I've kind of begun warming up to it a bit more, even though there's still things that I disagree with, there's still, there's things we don't understand as a whole, as a society, about our rights and our liberties, and we continue to hand them out and give them away for this perceived level of security and protection. And I just realized I have two dogs in here which will probably start barking at some point. Um, So during the commercial break, I will get them out. (laughs) Hopefully before they start barking. Um, Anyways, the last thing I want to talk about before the break, and maybe after we get through the legal guidelines book in the third segment, if we have time, we can come back to this. As we take back responsibility over our knowledge, which then gives us responsibility to take action over protecting our rights, we must learn, in my opinion, one of the biggest um, tools of propaganda, which is logical fallacies. I have a list here of many types of logical fallacies. And I'll read several of them because when you watch the news, when you watch your favorite journalist, when you watch any politician or campaigning politician, you will find many, many logical fallacies 
even in our textbooks, you guys, our textbooks from school have these fallacies. So we must use discernment. I would, I would honestly get yourself a set of the Tuttle Twins textbooks or history books and start to learn what we should have learned. But anyways, these logical fallacies include straw man, which is misrepresenting or exaggerating someone's argument to make it easier to attack. A straw man is, is when someone diminishes what you're saying or minimizes it or takes it out of, out of context, out of proportion to make it sound extreme on one end or the other, that is a straw man attack. Slippery slope is asserting that if we allow A to happen, then Z will consequently happen too. Therefore, A should not happen. Slippery slope is basically creating a false if-then statement. If A, then Z. The problem is nothing in life is that black and white. Nothing. Who knows if Z is an actual even like is even an actual possibility if A happens. We have a whole host of other alphabet letters that could happen too. So slippery slope is basically creating false if then statements. Special pleading is moving the goalposts or making up exceptions when a claim is shown to be false. That one's pretty self-explanatory, I feel like. The gambler's fallacy. Believing that runs occur, occur to statistically independent phenomena such as roulette wheel spins. Black or white. This is really similar to the slippery slope, in my opinion. When two alternatives, when two alternative states are presented as the only possibilities, when in fact more possibilities exist. So yes, slippery slope and black or white are very similar. Um, ad hominem. Ad hominem. <laughs> that one's a weird tongue twister. Attacking your opponent's character or personal traits instead of engaging with their argument. Appeal to authority. Using the opinion or position of an authority figure or institution of authority in place of an actual argument. I am very sad to say that I witnessed some appeals to authority on Facebook recently. I had posted this question about water baptism versus baptism in the spirit and if people had heard of this their thoughts on it and i had also shared a video of a preacher preaching about this supposed difference we'll, we'll say supposed for people's benefit of the doubt and i wanted to genuinely engage in the conversation but what i got in return was a lot of appeals to authority um one for instance said they had written a lot of, you know, extensively about it in a blog or another one had been like a, a um, Sunday school teacher and blah, blah, blah for X amount of years and that they're so familiar with, you know, these ver these verses about baptism. And I very politely asked 
if they have had watched the video and what their thoughts were on the specific set of verses that I was trying to reference that were also referenced in the video. And I kind of got crazy, you guys. You see, when we blindly follow without questioning, without asking questions, without studying for ourselves, we can end up really far from the truth. It's like the telephone game. It's like the telephone game. Um, Another couple are loaded questions. Asking a question that has an assumption built into it so that it can't be answered without appearing guilty. TV lawyers are very good at doing loaded questions. If you watch pretty much any courtroom on TV, you will see at least one example of a loaded question. A loaded question example would be like, like, did you or did you not eat the ice cream, you know, after dinner? <laughs> when um, next time you went to go have ice cream, the, the ice cream pail was empty. By the other person answering yes, they had ice cream after dinner, it's implied that they are guilty of emptying the ice cream pail. When they may not have. So that's a, that's a silly example. Bandwagon. Appealing to popularity or the fact that many people do something as an attempt, as an attempted form of validation. Your mama probably asked you at some point, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Right? <laughs> if everyone shot up their arm with a hokey pokey, you know, with vaxes, would you do it too? My answer is no. My answer is heck to the no. Personally. Um, begging the question. A circular argument in which the conclusion is included in the premise. Appeal to emotion. This one, you guys, is big because Chris Ann Hall, I think I've told you guys before, I think it was a 2016 election. She and her husband, Casey, had done sort of like a survey of all of the presidential candidates, all however many of them there actually were. And they didn't compare them to each other. Chrisanne Hall and her husband compared them to the Constitution and what the presidential candidates said in regard to what the Constitution says their role is. And every single one of them failed. But the reason they win in elections is because they appeal to emotions. They manipulate an emotional response in place of a valid or compelling argument. Gun rights or or, um, gun laws, I should say. Gun laws are an example of appeal to emotion. After every single mass shooting, they bring up gun laws because it's an appeal to emotion. It makes us so angry, so hurt, so scared for our children, for ourselves, for our families, that it 
it it convinces us. I would say blackmail because it's emotional blackmail, but it convinces us based on our our emotions, our fear, our anger to make a decision. There are several others, but like I said, we can get into these after we touch on the legal guidelines book. So let's cut to a commercial, and when we come back, we'll get into segment three. See you soon. Please check out the Proof Negative radio show, Monday through Thursday, 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern, that is 6 to 9 p.m. on the Pacific Coast, with excellent co-host outstanding guests, and lots of great conversation. We can even take your calls. The number is 319-527-6208, and just press lucky number one, and you will be on the Proof Negative radio show. We talk a lot about the kingdom here, and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same. And we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints. But they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And join us on Facebook. Facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the word. Looking for something different? Looking for something fun? Join Dan every Monday on the Freedomizer Network, 9 to 10.30 Pacific, noon to 1.30 Eastern, for Common Sense with the educated redneck, Dan Ellison. The show about everything and nothing at all. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty Lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific Time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. 
And speaking of the Living with Freedom show, as I mentioned at the beginning, living the Living with Freedom show is put on by Living with Freedom Ministries, where I love helping people discover and fulfill their God-given purpose through establishing their own private member association or ministry or church. To find out more information, please visit go.livingwithfreedom.org backslash PMA. And there you'll have access to a short 10-minute PMA intro as well as my full 25-minute PMA webinar. You'll also get access to schedule a consult if you want. They're free. (laughs) So we can talk about your goals and intentions, what you're looking at doing, or what you are doing and want to integrate into a ministry or a PMA, and see what options you have. The other thing I want to share is Day Designer. You guys have probably heard me mention it before. And one of my favorite ways to reduce stress and live a life of freedom is to keep track of things in my Day Designer Planner. Planning for success. I've used two of their other planners now and love the daily breakdown with an hourly schedule with enough room to break down into 30-minute increments if you want. It also has a lot of space for checklists, to-do lists, honey-do lists, (laughs) um, and even a spot for gratitude. Outside of making my own planner, this is the planner with all the things. So to get your own, which it's already November, December's coming up soon, and so is the new year. So I would get on getting a new planner for 2024 so you can plan for success. Get a day designer planner at bit.ly backslash LWF for Living with Freedom, LWF hyphen day designer. That's bit.ly backslash LWF hyphen day designer. All right. So in segment three here, we're going to be talking about this legal guidelines for unlicensed practitioners. And as I mentioned in the last segment, as I've continued reading this book, because I hate putting a book down unfinished, as I've continued to read it, I have begun warming up to it quite a bit more. Even though there's still things I dislike about it and things I disagree with, things I find factually a little incorrect or very incorrect. But I wanted to read to you from Chapter 8 because what they talk about with licensing is a huge part of my specific purpose with helping people get their own PMAs. A few things that he says, at least I think the author is a man, it's just from the writer's group, so I don't think it actually says who specifically wrote it. Anyways, let's just assume the author is a he for now. He quotes Milton Friedman, who is a Nobel Prize winning economist. And this whole chapter is called The Case Against Medical Licensing. Now, we can extract this and apply it to pretty much any industry and any licensing, which I I feel is really pertinent in the world today. So anyways, Milton Friedman wrote, I am persuaded that licensure has both reduced the quantity 
and quality of medical practice. It has reduced the opportunities for people to become physicians. <coughs> Excuse me. It has forced the public to pay more for less satisfactory service, and it has retarded technolo technological development. I conclude that licensure should be elimin eliminated as a requirement for the practice of medicine. Another economist, another Nobel Prize winning economist, George Stiegler, Stiegler says, as a rule, regulation is acquired by the industry and is designed and operated primarily for its benefit. Let me say that again. As a rule, regulation is acquired by the industry and is designed and operated primarily for its benefit. What he said here is that regulations are not for the benefit of the citizens, of the people. They're for the industry's benefit. To protect those in the industry, to help them make money, to prevent competition. That is what he's saying here. And then, let me double check this one. Okay, and then Lori B. Andrews, who's a professor of law, and, and she's some other things too, but mostly she's a professor at law. She wrote, licensing has served to channel the development of healthcare services by granting an exclusive privilege and high status to practitioners relying on a particular approach to healthcare, a disease-oriented intrusive approach, rather than a preventative approach. By granting a monopoly to a particular approach to healthcare, the licensing laws may serve to assure an ineffective health care system. Something else that the author went on to say was talk, they were talking about the first 120 years of American history. In the first 120 years, our herbalists and therapists and osteopaths and chiropractors, allopaths, etc., etc., they all were offering healing services. But with this system of health care, well, I shouldn't say but, and with that system, America quickly became one of the healthiest nations, even though it was such a new, such a young nation. This competition between all of these healers is what kept prices down. It also made I should say these low prices also made the healthcare widely accessible. And the reason this was so successful is that there were already laws in place. There still are laws in place against fraud and against negligence to protect the consumer. We never needed you guys. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to shout, but I'm going to be very passionate here. You guys, we never needed licensing to do what we do. Licensing boards were created for control. There were such a thing as community health associations that were owned by the members. They offered the best care at the best prices because if People didn't like the services they were getting. They would fire 
the provider and hire someone new. They got to vote with their dollar and actually have a vote in who they saw. Church and community-supported charities also served so that those who couldn't pay for health care had access. You see, this is what the free market healthcare system looks like. I'm not reading verbatim, but I am summarizing. The problem really started with licensing when the American Medical Association, and if you know anything about anything with medical freedom, you know that medical freedom advocates do not like the American Medical Association. They conned people and they conned lobbyists and legislation by saying they wanted to protect the public against quacks when really their objective, their intention was to increase the income of its members and its members only consisted of the drug pushers and the allopathic doctors that used said drugs. I wanted to make sure that I read one other thing. Um, Because of all of this legislation to push for licensing, the number of healing schools, and I'm going to quote this, the number of healing schools fell from 140 in 1900 to 77 in 1940. It cut the number of healing schools in half, you guys. Here's another quote. Because of this licensing crap that happened, all, here's the quote, all schools that accepted women were closed, as were all but two that trained African Americans. Only the drug medicine schools remained, and the AMA-led cartel basically took over health care in America. If that doesn't tell you that the industry, that the system, and I'm not talking about government as our founding fathers designed it and created it. I'm talking about the corrupt system. If that doesn't tell you that the system wants separation and they are the ones pushing for segregation and discrimination, I don't know what does. Because their licensing system is what made it so that women and African Americans could not learn medicine and go help their people. Medicine is an elitist industry. Made for, bought for, paid for, all of the things for the elite. And even though our Constitution does not specifically address medical freedoms and medical rights, it does indirectly. And let me see if I can find that part. Chapter 8 here in this book is really phenomenal. I I was very impressed with it. Um, So far, it is the most impressive chapter in this book. And for that alone, I I might go as far as saying I recommend it. Um, uh, doo, doo, doo. 
Maybe I won't be able to find it. Um, yeah, I don't think I'll, I'll get to find it, which is really unfortunate because they made a very excellent point about the Constitution and our rights. So, oh, well, I will live. <laughs> Anyways, the book is called Legal Guidelines for Unlicensed Practitioners. As much as there are some actually like lawful or law-based things that I do disagree with, the premises that they make here in general are pretty sound. I kind of have a feeling that they, they did the best they could writing it because it sounds like the writers were part of or are part of some sort of legal consultant organization. And as such, they may have their own licenses, their own bar association, um, you know, licenses to to cover their butts for. So I do feel like their perspective may be a little bit biased, a little bit timid, um, and maybe a little cowardly. And I say that with all due respect because I do know that they, you know, consulted with lawyers as they wrote with this, wrote this book. But knowing that all the lawyers in this country were never actually taught the constitution and true constitutional law, at best they were taught constitutional theory and case law as precedent, that skews what they know is truth. Just like what we know is truth. It skews the perspective. And so read the book with discernment. Read it with a grain of salt. And cross-check. I always invite you guys to cross-check and verify even the things that I say. Because I can get things wrong. I'm not perfect. But what I do know is I speak with conviction on the things that I know at the time to be true. And I also trust in God communicating through me. I am a funnel. I do my best to keep my own opinions in check and making sure that any thoughts I have are in alignment with what God wants me to know about a certain thing or with what he wants me to speak on on a certain thing. <clears throat> it's okay to ask questions. And it's okay to be skeptical. And I will go as far as saying it's okay to be skeptical when things don't always make sense biblically. If we read something that seems like it's contradicting something else, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to look at other versions or even going back to like the Hebrew or the Greek or um, the Aramaic. It's okay to do these things to figure out the answer for ourselves. And if that doesn't go along with the flow, with the status quo, that's okay. Stepping into our freedoms and our liberties can sometimes feel sort of lonely. Because that means we're stepping into truth with a capital T. And it means we're stepping into our purpose 
and our integrity. That's not to say someone else's integrity is, is bad or wrong or false. What it is saying is that someone else might might not have been exposed to that truth because their purpose in life is to focus on a different part of truth. Because I see truth as a big puzzle. Not as in it's a mystery, even though it is a little bit. Um, what I see truth being, and I just realized I forgot to close the door for the dogs. Oh, well, I guess we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> um the reason I see truth as being a big puzzle is we're all the body of Christ. Some of us be the eyes or the ears or the hands or the feet. <clears throat> and like that, in the puzzle metaphor, we're all a different piece of the puzzle. Your scope on what truth looks like is this puzzle piece or maybe these puzzle pieces. And my truth, my part of the truth that I see is over here with these puzzle pieces. And sometimes they snap together. Sometimes they are on totally opposite sides of the puzzle. That doesn't mean necessarily that they're not both true. As long as we are staying in discernment with God's truth and not letting ego and not letting man get in the way so going back integrating what we just learned from legal guidelines and integrating what we were talking about before with responsibility and giving away our power when we give away our rights due to fear we give away our power our strength And remember that fear equals false evidence appearing real. It's so, so, so easy to let our imaginations, especially if we've ever been through something that's traumatic, where we may not have actually healed from and overcame, at least completely. I do believe trauma changes us permanently, but that doesn't have to be a, a a bad permanence. It's just it changes the way we think about things. Sometimes we need help thinking in a more positive or or at least realistic way. And sometimes it helps us just become more aware of things. Regardless, though, we cannot let fear taint our perspective on what is real, what is right in front of us here and now. We need to encourage our churches or establish our own free church to to get back to biblical truths. We need our churches and our kingdom citizens to step up to the plate and serve one another in times of need. For instance, when the American cross first got started, it was very altruistic. Clara Barton was a very loving, kind-hearted woman. 
she served and she served from her heart. But what the American Red Cross has become today is nothing short of corruption. And I've actually witnessed some of it secondhand through family. I do not endorse or support anything that they do anymore because of that corruption. And so even when we're supporting causes, when we're buying products, we vote with our dollars, and our dollars are our endorsement. So where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your time? This even goes for Hollywood, and this is a hard one for me. I'm going to be honest. As a parent, especially as a single mom, I know that the other half of my son's parents do not monitor in the way that I do the content that my son is exposed to. I would like to protect him from such content, but because I know that they are not going to, I have come to this conclusion that I myself kind of need to be the one to to access, I shouldn't say access, um, view like Disney movies, for instance, together with him so that I can see what he's being exposed to so that I can have these conversations with him about what he's seen. I don't believe, and I never have believed, in hiding like an ostrich with its head in the sand from the world. We can be in the world and not of the world. And the reason I say this is that I'm really inspired by the fact that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And he actually denounced the Pharisees and the leaders at the time. He was speaking and being friends with the people who needed the gospel message the most. He didn't want it to be an echo chamber of who's who's the most righteous according to following the laws to the T, the best. He he was a friend of sinners. And that's, when I think about homeschooling, yes, I still believe in homeschooling with all of my heart. Do I necessarily believe in Christian private schools or Christian colleges? Yes and no. I mean, yes, it's it's good to be surrounded by biblical truth as long as it is remaining to be biblical truth and not more um, legalism and, and traps. And I shouldn't say, but I'm going to say and here. And... I also believe we were not meant to stay in an echo chamber preaching to the choir. I believe we were meant to be examples in the world of what being a kingdom citizen is and looks like. But we can't do that, you guys, if we're in a little echo chamber and the only people that we're exposed to are other Christians, other believers, other kingdom citizens. So we need to let go of the fear. We need to be willing to learn about what others know because that's how we can meet them where they're at. I think it was Paul spoke two or three different languages. He spoke Greek. He spoke Aramaic. 
And that helped him build credibility. And now I'm not saying we need to go be learning Hebrew or go be learning Aramaic or Greek or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is to love others as ourselves, to love our neighbors as ourselves. The first step really needs to start with understanding. And understanding does not mean condoning. It does not mean agreeing. It just means understanding learning about because then when we can learn about something we can connect the dots from where they are to where we are and help them see that path too that connecting of the dots you see the Pharisees were so wrong in the fact that they tried to preach down to people but what Jesus did he went down with the people and met them and walked in the crowds. He taught crowds and he was just he was humble. He met them where they were at so that he can connect the dots and bring them up with him to a higher level. And that ties back into what we were talking about earlier with the logical fallacies. We cannot remain ignorant to the fact that these things are real and these things exist. I am not immune to using them either. I do my absolute best not to use them and to be focused exclusively on truth and not appealing to emotion or authority or ad hominem hominem, (laughs) um, fallacies. But I'm human too and I'm not perfect. Awareness is the key, though. When we're aware of something, we ourselves can learn to not do it or use it or say it. And we can also recognize it in others, thus increasing our level of discernment. This discernment also goes to recognizing where someone is trying to pull at our rights, our liberties, and our powers. I know I could go on about this. I'm very passionate about it. I'm very passionate about trying to encourage listeners to take heed. My warning that ignorance is the best way to not have any power, any rights. So as a quick recap, we today talked about the the holiday of the day. And if you missed segment one, the holiday of the day is National Pickle Day. Um, I did also talk about a certain brand of pickles I really like and why they're so good, why I think they're underrated. I also brought to our attention this book called The U.S. Constitution and Other Key American Writings. And what I shared is that this book is just a collection of writings. The first one we talked about today is the Mayflower Compact, which was actually written November 11th, 1620. And so because November 11th just happened, I wanted to talk about that. And because of the Mayflower Compact, our words of the day were colony and compact, 
not compact as in tightly bound, but compact as in an agreement or contract. We talked about the significance of each of these, and then we also read the Mayflower Compact. I shared my takeaways, which a quick recap on those is that, one, the, the freemen who came over wanted to be sure to recognize and honor God. They wanted to maintain and advance Christianity. And they agreed to be colonies or extensions of England, which is the mother country for them. And they acknowledged submitting and being obedient to the establishment of said colony to the mother country. We also talked about healing, um, you know, healing our past, healing our fears, taking responsibility for both ourselves as well as those who came before us and who will come after us. After us, we talked about being responsible for ourselves in health, liberty, knowledge, safety, defense, and in life in general, and how to stop giving away our power. And I also did a quick review of Chapter 8 in the Legal Guidelines for Unlicensed Practitioners book. I think it's an amazing resource, and yes, there's some challenging information in there that I don't always agree with and think is factually incorrect, but overall... I appreciate what they're doing. So let's see. My recap is done. So this has been an episode. This has been episode 19 of the Living with Freedom show. I'm your host, Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries. Please join us every Tuesday from 2 to 3.30 Central, noon to 1.30 Pacific. Thanks again, and we will see you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.